this is the Interledger biweekly community call. It's the 5th of Feb. Um, welcome everyone. Second call of the year, is it? Third call of the year. Uh, as usual, the agenda is being tracked on the forums. And um, as far as I can tell, uh, and apologies that the, the agenda thread was only put up today. Um, that was my bad. But um, Matt has proposed to talk a bit about open payment scope. Um, I see lots of people <laughs> giving that a like, so um, we'll definitely dive into that. Before we do that, um, maybe Sabine, if you want to just close off the topic from last week on the podcast feed, uh, anything you want to mention about that or how people can you know, connect podcast listeners or clients to that? Sure. Well, it is not completely set up yet because for a podcast to be available in any kind of podcast app, it needs to be registered at iTunes because almost any app uh, pulls their list from iTunes. And for that, we need an Apple ID. And for that, we need an email address. And uh, I've been talking to Stefan about it, and he said it would be great if we could get the podcast at interledger.org address. Um, but I think Evan is the one that has that domain, so he's not around at the moment so we have to wait until we he's back and we get that email address and then i can list it at itunes and until that is done it's they are available on uh, soundcloud i think it's soundcloud and then just slash slash into ledger and i will update yeah. you all yeah. once that's done soundcloud forward slash into ledger um is where you want to where you want to find them um so we'll get this one up on there uh, following the call. Thanks again, Sabine, for helping to do that. I think there, there's a way to access an RSS feed in the right format directly from SoundCloud. But yeah, as you say, I, I, I don't know how different podcast clients work, um, if it's possible to give them the feed URL directly. Uh, we're also doing some interesting stuff um, around monetizing podcast feeds at Coil. So I'm hoping we can... Um, put something in there as a sort of demonstration of how that might work as well. Um, if you are still blocked, uh, let me know, Sabine. Um, I have access to info at Interledger. It's just a redirect. Um, so we could use that as a, as a temporary thing and maybe change the email address later. But uh, it's, yeah, it's... Um, so the problem, the problem with that is that you cannot easily change it once you submitted it with an Apple ID, it basically stays there. The only way you can change it is delete that account, create a new account, and then set it up there. What I can do in the meantime, though, is to look at at least, I know that Stitcher, I think, is doing a different thing and not using iTunes. So I can look into Stitcher and get it registered there. Okay. Um... Cool. Well, I'll leave it with you. If anyone has knowledge in this domain or wants to give Sabine um, some help on, on doing this, um, please let her know. I'm sure you can find her on Slack or uh, get hold of her um, some other way. Thanks again, Sabine. That's really, uh, really useful. Sure, my pleasure. Um, so there's two other topics on the agenda. Uh, last minute submission from David. Um, and again, that's my fault for getting the thread up um, recently. 
uh, is to talk a little bit about the item potency uh, retry behavior for LP of HTTP. So there's a pull request from Kincaid on that. Um, so let's discuss that uh, following the scoping discussion around open payments. Um, Matt, you wanted to talk about what we should have in and out of scope for open payments. Uh, do you want to kick that off? If you if we lose you to load shedding, I'm happy to take over. Yeah, so I think like on my phone the connection's not great. Um, it's probably going to be easier. You act as a proxy. I mean, you you understand like the stance uh, as long as it's on the floor. And if I have to, I'll jump in. Okay, cool. Let me do that. So. Um, so there's been a fair amount of discussion in GitHub threads, if anyone's been tracking those, on the open payments repo, um, on Slack as well, and then um, a few discussions of one-on-one -on -one that we've had in the COIL office around the best way to do this. Um, one way, I, so I guess a summary of one of the conclusions we've come to is that web monetization is kind of a unique use case compared to many of the others we're trying to tackle. Um, web monetization has this concept of a constant stream of money without a sort of definitive sort of end point. And Brandon is very used, very interested in using that same thing for Codius and sort of funding Codius hosts directly through web monetization. Um, so if I could maybe bucket the use cases into like funding your Codius host using web monetization, paying for content using web monetization, just general web monetization stuff. Um, versus more traditional payment use cases, which generally involved a distinct amount being exchanged from one party to another. So online checkout, sending a tip, sending a donation, um, third party payment initiations, subscriptions. Those are generally, um, at least at the time of payment, are a distinct amount that's sent from one person to other. And normally, you know, even though we would use a stream connection to do that, or maybe even multiple stream connections to do that, it's going to happen in a relatively short period of time. It's going to start, it's going to finish. Um, and, and what we care about is setting that up and then accounting for it afterwards. So our current thinking around open payments is really to focus on that latter group of use cases. I think Brandon, Ben have some clever ideas about how they want to solve specific issues in web monetization around proof of, um, payments and receipts and so on and they may um, as I understand the the proposal at the moment maybe Brandon can talk to it now or maybe they still want to iron out some of the details um, is that it may actually make sense to do that right in the transport layer so in, in stream itself um, rather than uh, adding sort of upfront interactions of uh, you know the application layer so what we plan to do with open payments over the next few days and, and probably into next week is a number of things. Uh, one, um, update the website, um, start making it look a little bit nicer. We've got uh, someone who's recently joined the COIL team who's some, some shall I just say, better design capabilities than, um, than we've had um, up to now. And I'm not dissing your amazing design work so far, Matt. Um, but uh, he's he's busy doing a refresh on the Rafiki Money Wallet to make it look a bit better and really um, shine as a sort of demo of what a, a sort of reference ILP native wallet could look like and, and how it could work. Um, so looking forward to showing that to everyone and getting feedback on that. But then also updating the um, the the code under the hood to start matching some of our 
what we've just discussed around mandates and invoices and how we would execute the different use cases that um, specifically uh, use cases around distinct uh, you know, payment amounts. So in terms of scoping, that's what we'll focus on. Um, I think Ben and Brandon are gonna iron out the web monetization use case and then probably have something to talk about um, on that. I don't know if it'll be today or maybe at the next call. Um, and, our, and our thinking, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, is right now to stick to the concept of mandates and invoices. Keep it really simple. Um, if you want, uh, if you create an invoice, an invoice resource would exist at the wallet of a receiver. And if the receiver wants to get paid for that invoice, they would share a reference or a handle or URL to that invoice or the, the invoice itself um, with a sender. And a mandate is something that's maintained at the wallet of a sender. And what that is, is, um, is basically an agreement by the sender that someone else can send money out of their account on their behalf. Uh, and those are the two kind of main primitives. And, and then we'll design interactions using those um, to accommodate the different use cases. And I think a lot of what we've got documented that Matt's put in under the different use cases now is probably a good indication of the direction we're going. So I'm gonna stop there and, and, and basically yeah, summary, the, the scope that we will focus on in open payments is everything we had listed minus web monetization, um, at least uh, for now. And uh, web monetization is being tackled by Brandon and Ben more directly. One question yeah, I ended, so does, yeah, that include, ahead, um, does that include making spends? You had an interesting comment on the sources thread around like, is, is that something that should be in scope? Is it not? And kind of curious about that. What do you mean by making spends? So uh, when the, uh, an API for the merchant to um, deduct some balance from the receiver's wallet. Or sorry, their, their oh, wallet right. rather than receiving an yeah, yeah. payment. Yeah, so, so I would say a lot of the um, motivation for that stuff, at least my understanding from Brandon and Ben, and Brandon I think is on the call, could comment on this, is uh, the need for uh, an account holder who isn't running their own wallet to be able to verify payments when they come in. And so we were spending a lot of time thinking about what would an API look like from that account holder to their wallet. Um, so I think you, in, 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 you know, you've referred to them as a merchant, but let's say it could be like a website, a marketplace website or a website hosting content on behalf of people or, or themselves, whatever. Um, and I think the way they are thinking of tackling it is some sort of signed receipt rather um, so not needing to go over the back channel directly to your wallet and verify that the payments were received. Um, so they're tackling the problem slightly differently. I think from our perspective, if you're thinking of something like e-commerce, um, I, I think we would do it this way, but we wouldn't necessarily then need spends. We can stick to invoices. So as a merchant, I speak to my wallet, I create an invoice, um, and then I uh, request that somebody... Um, pay into that invoice and so they would get the, the by querying the invoice resource they would get details of how to stream money to the 
me to pay that invoice and they would do that and then I would be able to query the the status of that invoice to find out how much money was actually paid into it. So that that the we are still thinking about call it three groups of APIs, maybe loosely two groups. So there's APIs that wallets would use to uh, interact with one another, sending and receiving wallets to sort of set up the payment. And then there's also APIs between the account holders and their wallets. So on the receiving and on the sending side. Um, like I think you made the point, Kincaid, that those user to wallet APIs are less important to standardize. And, and you know, there was a lot of discussion between you and Ben on that. And, and I discussed it with Ben a little offline. Um, I, I think for me, the, the, um, it comes down to, we might as well define them. We don't necessarily have to mandate them as part of our payments, but it's useful if people use the same ones. Uh, so I think a lot of that commentary is already in that issue and, and with people going and reading over the sort of the views from both sides. But um, from our perspective, we want to map out the full flow, including all four stakeholders. You've got a sender, the sender's wallet, to receive a receiver's wallet. In any use case, we want to map out all the flows between all of them and, um, and, and define what the API calls and things would look like. And it may happen that people augment those with like value added APIs as a wallet. Um, we wanted at least to find the, the minimum uh, APIs you would need to make these use cases possible in an interoperable way. David asked the question, um, you know, clarifying will web monetization just be another use case in open payments? I think that might be its own spec. Um, I don't know. So for basically what we're thinking of in terms of scoping right now, David, is not to consider web monetization in how we think about open payments, but to make sure that, for example, payment pointers don't get fragmented. Like you don't have a payment pointer that works for web monetization and another one that only works for open payments. We want to make sure that whatever Ben and Brandon are thinking around web monetization and you know using payment pointers as the discovery mechanism still aligns with what we do with open payments etc so so there'll be coordination i don't know what the web monetization stuff um how it will materialize it will probably end up being something specced at the webmonetization.org website would be my guess but that's just kind of off the cuff how i think it would play out sorry kikade i didn't give you an opportunity to respond um did that make sense what i said yep yeah that did Okay, cool. So, I mean, that's the, that's kind of the way we think about things in terms of scoping open payments. Um, if anyone, I mean, we'd love people to contribute and, you know, be part of discussing how we go. So we trying to keep the open payments.dev website as up to date as possible. Um, and then use that as kind of the, the reference for the latest thinking. And if people, have ideas you can log them as issues you know critiques log them as issues or even if you have contributions log them as pull requests um, against that repo and we'll use that to basically evolve this this idea uh, and then in parallel we're going to build out the Rafiki money reference wallet um, to be able to implement everything that we have in there and, and sort of showcase how we see these things working last comment or question i guess on that topic david um how 
what's the current state of the different connector implementations that have been historically maintained out of Spring? I know you've mostly been in charge of the, the Java one. Um, Kincaid, are you, so, uh, who owns the Rust connector now in Evan's absence? Who's, who's driving, kind of call it product managing that? Yeah, we, uh, I mean, I guess as Georgios has really been taking the lead on uh, development of the Rust connector. And I think uh, we're, we're pretty close to like 0 0.9 maybe, or 1.0, um, whatever we want to call it, kind of like a connector is in a good spot. Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of uh, features and issues being worked on specifically around um, uh, mostly new primitives in Rust and test coverage, et cetera. So I think end of this week, you'll see, uh, uh, or, or you know, this whole week, where there's a bunch of PRs getting merged uh, and a lot of work going there. Um, and then Java Connector, of course, we continue to iterate on and, um, and build out. So probably the best place to track those is in each repo. So the reason I ask is from, from yeah, go for it, Kincaid, sorry. Sorry, what, like, um, what was the question? I mean, anything, anything to add on, on the David's comments about sort of the future of the Rust connector, who, who's going to be maintaining it, um, <clears throat> who sort of owns that piece of code? Um, no, I, I don't. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, the, 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 so the main, the, the rationale for the question is like, we obviously have a pretty dated Rafiki JavaScript, um, connector that we have a little test net running on. And that's the back, that's the, the ILP layer for our reference, um, wallet. We'd like to move to using, you know, the spring test nets and connecting to like an instance of the Java connector and the Rust connector. And I think we're getting to a point where we have a clearer picture of what that interface should probably look like. Um, so it'd be great to, maybe in the next call, we can spend some time talking about exactly what that looks like or, or even comparing the two. Like how do you initiate a stream connection in the Java connector versus the Rust? Like what do those interfaces look like? How do you actually send money over stream? How do you receive money, et cetera? Um, I don't know if you guys have got those documented somewhere that we could, do some reading up on them, or if the best thing to do is look at the code. Sorry, Adrian, I, I was doing something else. Was that a question for me, or was that? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of just a general question around um, understanding the interface into the connectors to open and close stream connections, send money using stream, uh, receive money using stream. Like, I, I feel like even if the APIs are slipping, having little language specific uh, quirks, the general flow should probably be similar. You know, in, in we talked a bit about it today, but the analogy is like the socket API for TCP. You know, it's a sort of, a, call it a platform level thing. And you, whether you, you, irrespective of what language you use to open your TCP connection, or whatever framework or, or libraries or whatever, it's a generally like a sort of common pattern of, you know, binding as a listener and like, um, 
you know, things like that. Like there's a, there's a common pattern of how you accept incoming connections, how you accept incoming data, um, how you send data, how you make outgoing connections. It would be useful if we could define some of that stuff, at least at a high level, um, because I think that's maybe missing at the moment is a, is a clear understanding of how applications are expected to in, interface into stream. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely, I think that's definitely true. I, I think it's probably more complicated, like you don't know the best way uh, for them to do that. So I actually see like if different implementations do it slightly differently, um, maybe that's okay. Um, and to enable kind of more experimentation to see what that the best interface looks like. I mean, maybe it's the case yeah, that like as an application, you use an API to like probe and figure out what the exchange rate is first, and then you know some other API to make a payment by destination amount or source amount or something like that. Um, and then maybe you want like real time streaming receipts or you know some you know using WebSockets or you, there are a lot of different considerations there and I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, I don't think, I think that's, I don't that's a good point. And I think that's right. part of what we're hoping to tease out with our, with our implementation of the wallet. Cause like the wallet should be the classic consumer of that interface. Um, you know, you've done the open payments interactions. You now know you want to send money to a specific destination address and you know, you want them to, let's say receive a specific amount. You've got the address, you've got the shared secret, you've got the amount you want them to receive. Like, what are the API calls you would expect to make against the stream sender to do that? Um, you know, likewise, you've issued an invoice, you know um, that the, there's going to be an incoming connection that corresponds to that invoice, you're going to receive a stream of payments, you're going to fulfill them under certain conditions but you're gonna to want to have some way of tracking that money coming in and deciding when you've received enough and considering that invoice paid. Like what does the interface look like that your application consumes to do that? So we, we are gonna figure those things out, I guess, over the next little while. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, my question, I guess, is how interested are people across the different implementations in coming to some consensus on what makes sense? Because what I don't want is for us to write a wallet that only works with the Rust connector because the whole paradigm of using stream through, let's say the Java connector is different. It, it's just like you have to write a whole massive abstraction layer between them for it to work or something. Um, I agree that some experimentation is definitely a cool way to figure out the right way to do it. But are we sort of on the same page that the end goal should be that this is roughly the same for everyone? Yeah, Adrian. Um, it, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And then I'll, I'll chime in. It, I mean, maybe there are some APIs that it'd be good to standardize. It just seems like the scope for that could be massive. You know, it's it's like what if you know what if you want real time streaming payment notifications? What if a merchant wants to API to initiate uh, a, a refund, for instance, like is the behavior around that going to be like, is that something? Uh, that but I think that's, but I think that's application layer stuff. I think at the interface to the stream sender, 
your your basic primitives are not that numerous it's you know i can create a stream connection i can create a new stream i can um send some money on that stream i can accept an incoming connection i can accept a new incoming stream i can receive money on that stream like there's only so many things you can do with a stream connection um and i'm i'm kind of wow. yeah that, the, the, I don't want to mix business rules in there. I think the whole purpose here is this is a this is a, a stream for you to send money back and forward. Um, what are the what is the sensible interface that exposes for you to manage that process? Here's here's, so, here's the question. So, so if, if if for fee, so if uh, if if say Java and Rust or you know some connector implementation exposed a different interface for stream. Like, is, is that a bad thing? Does that lead to fragmentation with a wallet, you know, like Rafiki? Or is it the case that, you know, maybe you're, you, you are choosing one implementation, sticking with that, and, and kind of what I was, uh, mentioned in the sources thread was, you know, maybe then you're, you're using some infrastructure provider and then connecting to whatever liquidity providers you desire. Um, so I guess my question to you, like, like, is it a bad thing if they're, if they're different APIs and there is, I, I think it, I think it, I think it is um, in as much as I'm thinking more about, I've got a piece of software that I've got that, that I've been given that I'm told is for uh, it's, it's, a, it's an implementation of the stream protocol. It fits into my software stack. So I'm building some, some uh, application and my application is to interact with this thing called stream and basically it, it only interacts with that thing when it wants to send or receive money over interledger and the one way it could do that is it could say it, it could like call some api on that thing and say create a connection here's an address and a secret and then it could call send for every packet i want to send and get a response back to say yes that was sent or not or or it could set a send max and a receive max or it could, like there's different ways you manipulate that connection once it's established to cause money to flow back and forward. And I think if the, the semantics of how that works is fundamentally different, some, some implementations will be use, usable for certain use cases and others won't. Uh, like we've already had an interesting discussion about how do you do a fixed receive, for example, and what does that entail? And what, you know, what has to be exposed at this interface to allow that to, to work? Um, so I think that's for me that in terms of standardization and figuring out like at the interledger layer, um, stuff that hasn't been figured out yet, that's kind of the next big hole we need to fill. Um, I think it's, it's kind of nebulous at the moment. We sort of, we have implementations, they expose APIs. I'm not convinced those APIs were ever thought through very carefully in terms of how they would be used to execute specific use cases. Sure. I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So Adrian, this is uh, really timely uh, because uh, on, on the spring side, at least, we've been thinking a lot about this exact problem and like, what are the boundaries of these interfaces? And I think, um, like at the raw stream level, like the RFC dictates right um, what implementation should do, and then I think one layer above that is sort of what you're getting at, which is how do we how do we um, 
use the stream protocol to accomplish certain use cases. I think one thing yeah. we've run into even in the last few days is like, um, you know, if you want to send a million dollar payment over um, a bunch of links that maybe have like scale nine XRP, like you're, you're talking about, you know, billions of packets maybe. Um, and so the way you would build even the infrastructure to support something like that is very different than if, you know, all those links were like scale zero maybe. Uh, and you have like, much fewer packets. So uh, one thing we've been doing uh, on the spring side, at least, is trying to focus more on uh, certain use cases effectively. And so like, just to make the problem domain a little simpler in our own minds, like we've been thinking about how do you make um, like a like a hundred dollar payment, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, this is still in flight, but like, there's a there's an interesting problem if you just use stream, like you, you essentially need to make a sender that is smart enough to um, uh, like suffer outage, right? So if a sender is mid-flight and it's sending packets and the sender crashes, um, it's, it's gonna like potentially go out of sync with whatever links it's using, whatever connector links it's using. Anyway, long story short, there's a lot of complexity that you one needs to engineer around in a sender if we're just using raw stream. Um, and so, like, even just this morning, where we've kind of come to is like, there are higher level uh, things that Opay gives that I think would actually be helpful to apply. So, all to say, I feel like probably the standardization is going to be something using OPAY and then a couple of common patterns around how to build a stream sender and a stream receiver. TBD, but like one thing um, we're really interested in on the spring side is OPAY. And so like as we're building our like kind of wallet proof of concepts, like our goal is to make it work at the OPAY level with Rafiki and any other wallets that kind of come out and support OPAY. So Hopefully that okay, cool. is reassuring. Like we, we'd like to double down on OPE and like I think there's some higher level yeah, things that, that OPE gives. Yeah. So so I think what we're realizing is um, as a wallet and and, and Matt, um, you know, or Don or guys, feel free to jump in here. But like as a wallet, uh, you know, we had thought about doing the accounting um, as a sort of middleware part of the ILP pipeline. So packets are passing, you know, passing back and forward and, and you're assessing those against things like invoices and mandates and you're deciding uh, at the ILP layer, should I fulfill this? Because, um, you know, it's related to this specific invoice. And so, um, you know, that invoice isn't paid yet, so I should fulfill it. Or should I forward this packet on because it's paying out of an account that, has money and is related to a mandate that is approved or something like that. And what we've realized is that that is not that practical for wallets. Like the, you know, that's how we had originally built out the Rafiki middleware pipeline stuff. And I think there may be a use case for that, but right now uh, thinking of an architecture where you have a bunch of the wallet has a bunch of open payments interactions with another wallet. And at the end of that, it's got an invoice to pay or um, an, an expectation of an invoice 
being paid. So it's either going to make an in outgoing payment or it's going to um, be expecting an incoming payment. And at that point, it basically hands over to something that's driving stream that says, okay, I've got a invoice to pay. This is the amount. This is the address. This is the shared secret. Open a stream connection, start sending money until the invoice is paid. Um, close the connection. Or I'm expecting this invoice to be paid. This is the address and secret I gave the remote party. When a connection comes in with those credentials, I know it's for this invoice. And so track the money coming in on that until such time as the invoice is paid or I decide like those credentials have expired and then that's how we do it. And so everything from the application layer, uh, it, that, at the application layer, everything to do with stream is opaque, but the interface that the application layer uses to call into the stream senders and receivers then starts to become really important in terms of what features it supports um, and whether those uh, the features we need for those use cases exist. So we would be very keen to work closely with you guys and understand what are you exposing in the Java connector and in the Rust connector to be able to do those kinds of things. Yeah, that's awesome. I think we're exactly aligned. I mean, if I had to answer your, your original question in one sentence, it's like, the higher level primitive over stream and the way you should interact with stream is probably going to be defined in, in open payments. Okay, interesting. I don't know cool. if that aligns and, with- And, and I think, yeah, 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 and there's, a, there's, an, there's an elephant in the room here, which is the current implementations of stream other than the JavaScript one, which are not, as, I, as far as I know, uh, and last time I checked with Evan, this was the case, are not full implementations of the spec because they've been done in a stateless way. And so even though stream is a connection-oriented protocol, um, the implementations are stateless because that's just a lot easier to do and you, you can get away with it. But there's things in the spec like tracking totals that you just can't do easily in a stateless way. Um, and so maybe, yeah, I, I think, I suspect that things like uh, receipts are gonna make the, uh, mean we have to relook at some of this stuff. Yeah, one, one quick question. Uh, at your, in your earlier comment, you talked about kind of using ILP middleware um, and that not being practical for, um, using that for mandates or limiting mandates. Could you talk more about that not being practical? Well, uh, let's say, um, I know Matt may have some comments here, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to say it's not practical. I think it's, it's a more complicated way of doing it. I think our impression from what we've seen so far is that if you run a wallet, Interledger is just another channel for getting money in and out of your system. And you don't want to have to, and, and yet mandates and invoices and things are kind of, they exist in the business domain of your system. They, they um, what you would rather do is someone wants to spend money, you know, out of a mandate, you're going to evaluate, has, does the mandate allow for it? Does the user have money in their um, account if so reserve those funds and then you step down to the clearing layer and you say okay now actually send the money 
And if there was a failure, you go back and you undo some of the reserve funds or you mark the mandate as not fully exhausted or whatever the case may be. But there's a sort of sequence of events, which is kind of lock up liquidity, form the payment, and then um, sort of complete like all of your internal processes on the basis of the outcome of that payment versus the prior approach was, okay, um, just start sending the payment. And then you have middleware inside your ILP packet processing pipeline that as a packet comes through, goes and says, okay, this packet relates to this mandate. And so let's increment the mandate by the amount of the packet. Um, And you basically, um, I, I think both are, are doable. I think if you're an existing wallet um, who's adding ILP to what you do today, the former model is a lot easier. I think if you were building everything from scratch, I could imagine the latter being doable. So I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit. Matt, Matt and I went back on that a little bit. And my, my point was if you're using some external system that manages account balances and those are not like inner ledger, like your, your, your customers at a wallet do not have like inner ledger accounts on the node, but have, there's some external system for those balances. It's actually pretty, like it seems very straightforward to do it at the inner ledger layer because when you're setting up the payment, you would need, so there, there'd need to be like some kind of callback or webhook for you to make the, the balance change in your own system as a wallet you know, decrement the, the customer's balance. And then uh, the, like, it would just be an interledger account that's created. There's no, like, other system we need to design. It would just be, here's a new interledger account with some, there's probably, like, some special things we need to add to it, but, you know, with some max balance or some maximum rate. And then, of course, I mean, this is kind of using the more, um, if 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 it was um, if it was the case that then we're doing this all at the inner ledger layer could return ILP over HTTP credentials or BTP credentials, um, but you could also just imagine that that account exposes the Open Payments API that lets um, the the sender uh, send invoices uh, to that wallet. Um, but I, I think it's actually like, you could almost do that. I say like almost do that with the rust connector today because it's just, it's just a normal inner ledger account. Does that make sense? Or am I? Yeah, um, uh, it, it does make sense. I think it's the reconciliation between those inner ledger accounts and other accounts. That's the challenge. Matt, go ahead. Sorry. I, I cut you off. Yeah. So I, I just want to add, like, I think, so, so let's put it this way. The open specs payment as it currently is, is not normative about that. So if, if there were wallets that wanted to do that, sure, they can do that. Um, we're approaching it from the partners we're currently working with and the way it is. So let me just put it in perspective for everybody here. We've got three, I think there's three live wallets with another one definitely coming online within the next couple of um, months. And of those three, only one of them is running ILP infrastructure themselves. And even then, they have issues with running it because of the way they have to map ILP to the existing accounting infrastructure. So 
when you put that in perspective, like I want to realize like the practicality of what we're achieving and try work with partners because like it's, it's great to design a system theoretically that will be used and we could be superior, but superiority doesn't always win. Um, and that's true across all technologies. I want to try to get this into um, wallets as soon as possible so we can get the ubiquity there so we can drive adoption and then wallets can later on, if they feel it's, a, it's, the, the, it's a superior to do the mandates in the ILP layer, they can do that. The spec doesn't dis, like, discount you doing that. Um, and I'm sure there will be people who do do that. But I think we can try get there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's a little bit of, it's an important implementation detail because it, enables a lot of other use cases and if there's fragmentation between the ways we implement it then it's like you can't really do you know some of the use cases that require you know raw ilp access um and the other thing is like what we expose like what what we ultimately expose to wallets to enable that interaction doesn't really depend on whether we do this at the ilp layer or not um like we can still design around making an interface that enables, you know, uh, you know, a making safe uh, balance adjustments between kind of their external system and the node system. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the concern mostly is not about, it's not about, yeah, sorry. No, it's not about, it's, a lot of the time, it's not about the fact that it's the safety of it it's just the sheer volume and like how to deal with that. Like, like a lot of these wallets deal with like maybe tens, if not hundreds of TPS. And so now we're telling them to deal with up to thousands, tens of thousands, millions of TPS. We don't like, it's like packets are just so like granular that it just doesn't fit into their current accounting model. Um, and uh, like the raw LP access, like whilst I, like my thinking with open payments is that's not, that's, Partly, I would say, out of scope for the next, like for this iteration. And it might be an open payments or it might be a different ILP application level. But we've just seen so much resistance to enabling that with the current partners, like so much resistance. And I don't know how you resolve that. So if you have a solution for that, we can explore that. But I, 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 don't, like, I don't know how we resolve that. Like, like that's like if, if that's if, if that's the case, like that's valid. And, you know, I certainly have not talked with, you know, other wallets but it seemed like i i quite you've made the point like around like the threat model and we kind of talked about this in the sources thread but i think the threat like if we do that is at higher layers like without any like limiting at the ilp layer it just explodes the threat model because it actually turns out that like it's you know it's really hard to make stream safe uh, and there, there are a lot of like kind of bugs in the existing implementations. And if we limit it at the ILP layer, that actually makes things a lot safer. Um, and maybe if we tried to um, explain that, or you know, maybe if we sold wallets on that idea, their kind of stance on that would change. I don't know. But. So one one mitigation there, Matt, is that. Um, especially for wallet to wallet interactions. Um, again, this is not like over an open network, but you can imagine like a wallet to wallet transfer where the, the path is like maybe over two connectors, like your connector and their connector. 
um, you could imagine using like larger, uh, larger packet amounts. So like stream, there's nothing in stream that says they have to be like streaming micropayments, right? There are issues though that you need to engineer around. Like, you know, if you have a, a, a $1 packet unit and you drop some of those packets, like you probably need a resiliency model at the ILP v4 layer that can like recover from that. But there are ways to design a path um, that would not inundate, you know, your target wallet with like a million packets per second. I don't think we've really talked about those use cases in the community that, that much because we've really focused on, and the implementations also have focused on kind of the web monetization use case or this streaming micropayments use case. Um, but maybe, maybe there are like um, narrow approaches. Like, so for example, if Rafiki wants to send to Spring for that matter, and we have kind of a trusted relationship, we use large packets. But if we want to route a payment over to some other peer or through like a more open network, then we have a different link or you know a different path with different packet sizes. But they're kind of like two different problems, right? Um, I agree, but I think the, 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 the issue you run into is like Interledge is designed to be like sort of packetized payments where uh, like, I think that's part of how we like protect against liquidity. If we're thinking that the network is going to be a little bit larger than direct peering with these like wallets immediately, um, I'm not even talking about that big. I'm just saying when you got an intermediate step where you can't control that part, um, you just have to have one. Um, essentially, th any payment you're doing over that, as soon as you're using stream, is going to take whatever the equivalent of your payment was for, on a ledger to whatever you've packetized that to. So even if you don't do it as one, you do it as two, you've already doubled your load for what would have been a normal transaction. And that obviously goes up with N where N is the number of like discrete discretizations of that packet. Yeah, although I mean, um, like for example, like in the, in the test wallet between Spring Wallet and Rafiki, we mostly have an unlimited packet size. And so uh, that may have changed recently, but at one point there was kind of an unlimited packet size. And so, most of the payments were, you know, it was like 10 or 20 packets. So yes, that's more sort of packets than maybe what a wallet is doing at the moment. Um, but I think the idea would be like, when a wallet gets a $10 payment, it needs to roll that up into one transaction and then the, the 10 or 20 packets or whatever no one really needs to see those. Like maybe an admin needs to see those in a log file somewhere or in a database, but like none of that should really manifest up to the user. So I don't think it's like an infinitely linear upscale, right? Like there, there should be a cap and, and this to me feels more like, you know, a data load, right? Like is a wallet really gonna complain that they received, um, you know, 10K versus 50K? Yeah, I agree. So, but like, I think that the problem we're dealing with is we're dealing with existing people who have existing infrastructure that that's not fundamentally how it's designed. And already sometimes it's hard to get to implement, to implement Interledger. Um, removing that friction is the goal. Um, and like, I agree, but part of the, the irony with stream and uh, like some of the, the way the packetization works is basically any, if you're doing, so if you were sending singular packets, then that's fine.
But as soon as you're sending multiple packets at the same time, like you basically have the similar, similar liquidity lockup as all the in-flight packets um, sort of combined, in which case it might as well have just been one packet in my opinion, um, but there could be nuances there. Yeah, no, I largely agree. I just think like probably the way the interledger network is going to evolve, is my opinion, is that you'll have a hub like Rafiki and it will have some, some peers that it's really optimized and it's going to do large packets with. So like Uphold or XRP Tipbot or whoever. And then you'll have other links that are like, we don't really know who these, where these go. These are just sort of being routed over the open interledger. And then we need to probably do high volume packetized, very small packet amounts because we need to guard ourselves against, you know, free option attacks and stuff like that. I'm not sure how else the network can evolve because the two use cases are very different. And I don't, I don't think there can be just one network where everyone does streaming micropayments because you, you know, how do you send a thousand dollar payment at scale nine? Like, you know, maybe with 5G networks or something, but. Yeah, I like, so my opinion, sorry, we're going to run out of time, guys. My opinion is we, we're going to figure that stuff out as we start to see people actually executing those use cases. So I agree with you, David, that, you know, we may find um, that the, this is a challenge and we're going to have to figure it out. When I think about the two options for um, enforcing business rules against a payment, uh, you know, on the one hand, you've got, for me, the business rule is like, don't send the money because, or, or limit the amount of money you send because let's say there's a balance in an account and you shouldn't be able to send more packets than would, uh, you know, add up to the total balance of that account. That's the business rule. Now you can either say, um, you can either instruct the stream sender, only send a maximum of this amount, or you can have something that's inspecting all the ILP packets that come through and say, oh, this is a packet that's, you know, debiting it against that account. Check that the balance is still positive. Uh, if it is, let the packet pass through. So like those are the two approaches that we're talking about. Um, from our perspective, it's just simpler for implementers to do the former. That is, I want to emphasize what Matt said earlier. That is not to say you can't do uh, things, you know, the other way. You can, you can implement middleware that does packet inspection and, and enforces your business rules that way. I don't think either of those approaches changes how you would use open payments. I, I think the question of whether you want to expose external APIs to send ILP packets and receive ILP packets is a different question. That's... Um, I would say that's a question for should that be part of open payments or not? And if it is, is it a priority? And like, there's a, that's a different discussion. Yeah, I, I agree with your framing. So I, I guess um, to bring us back, uh, just to, you know, what I wanted to do was give everyone a heads up that that was, the direction we were going in with Rafiki Money and our implementation was to say, let's assess business rules up front. Let's do the open payment interactions. Let's decide, yes, the user has money or yes, the mandate is, you know, approved and there's sufficient money in the mandate to actually send the money or whatever the case may be. Do all of that up front. And then when you call into the ILP layer, 
you know the bounds under which you're actually now doing the sending of money or, or um, you understand when money comes in, how that fits into your business domain. There's none of that in our implementation. We're not going to enforce that at the ILP layer. But again, that's, you know, that's an implementation detail that I don't think impacts the API, but it was more of a heads up from our side. Um, we've only got five minutes left and David, you wanted to talk about something else. Um, I wonder if we can defer that because I don't think five minutes is going to give it, do it justice. Um, or if you want to just give a high level and ask people to go and comment on the issue, um, maybe give a, a quick like overview of what's under discussion there. It was on our, we talked about on the last call, the item potency and, and asynchronous kind of version of the HTTP API. Um, and then we can get people to go and have a look at the issue. Yeah, I think uh, we can largely defer. I think the, the question I was going to ask was, um, is the spirit of the RFC meant to just improve a peer-to-peer -peer link? Um, or is it meant to sort of take care of an entire payment path? Or both, or neither? Um, that, that was kind of where I was going. What do you mean by uh, take care of an entire payment path? Uh, just that, like, if, if you imagine kind of a, a payment path that has, like, at least two connectors in it, um, if the, if, if one, let's say from the sender to the first connector uses, um, ILP over HTTP, like async and can do retries, but the other links in the path can't, um, there are still weird scenarios where, like, you know, you can imagine the links that didn't use the, res the more resilient protocol I have timed out or whatever, um, I guess there's edge cases where like there's still a world where the path is not in agreement. And I th there? think that's, o I think that's okay because like ILP over HTTP is like fundamentally a link, like a peer to peer protocol. Um, I guess, I guess like the observation I have is like if, unless everyone in a payment path uses ILP over HTTP async, then um, that, Usage of the protocol can help like an individual peer relationship, but it won't actually solve the problem where the entire path is consistent. Um, like it, so I think one, yeah, two peers using ILP over HTTP, even if other peers in the path do not use it, like still solves discrepancies between those two peers. And there's like it could still improve the experience for other peers if, for example, a prepare uh, time like um, uh, there was a network error on a prepare, and if you're able to retry that, then instead of having to wait the whole time out for it to get rejected and that liquidity being on hold through all the peers in the path, even the peers that are not using the async mode or you know uh, retrying prepares, they would. Um, this would allow it to fail much faster in that case. So I don't think there's like, there's no negative, there's, there's no disadvantage to uh, two peers, like only, only one set of peers in the whole path using it. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just wanted to clarify. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's all, it sounds like there's a bit to be discussed here. Um, do you want to raise that on the PR, David? Um, how do you want to proceed on this? Yeah, let, let me let me go through. I, I um, this sounds I like a conversation that may be better had by Slack or a call yeah. rather than issues yeah, yeah. on GitHub. Um, so maybe uh, maybe we can like pick it up on Slack um, over the next little while, and we'll put it on top of the agenda for the next call if we yeah. can resolve it by then. Sounds good. Okay. So so we have run out of time. I apologize. We the the conversation on open payments and stuff. Uh, ended up dragging out longer than expected, but um, but I think a good discussion um, nonetheless. The next call is uh, in two weeks, so that puts us at the nineteenth of Feb. Um, thanks everyone for for joining. Um, uh, I I do want to try and get more people on the call involved in the discussion. So um, don't uh, yeah, I'm 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 like picking on people, I don't know. <laughs> or, or are we gonna all sit in silence until someone speaks up that hasn't spoken yet? I don't know, we'll figure, we'll figure something out. But the, the call recording will be up on SoundCloud soon um, and we'll chat again in two weeks, 19th of Feb. So thanks again, everyone. And I will get the uh, agenda thread for next week up straight away. Um, so let's put this topic top the agenda and, um, and kick it off then. Ciao. Thanks, Adrian.